All right, welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar, your one-stop shop for all your boxing needs. We're here to talk about all the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by Lavelle Jackson. This week, Danny is out. Um, he had some things he had to take care of. So this week is just going to be the two of us. Lavelle, how's it going? How's, how's your week going so far? Uh, just it's nice, relaxing. Uh, a lot of boxing that was on yesterday. Uh, fun weekend. How was yours? Not too bad. Um, I thought the weather, weather was pretty beautiful, um, and it's also beautiful right now. So, just want to go ahead and talk this boxing, and then get out and enjoy some of this beautiful weather that we have uh, here in the DMV. Um, this week we'll have pretty much another pretty pretty short episode. Uh, we just have about five or six fights that we're going to recap. Speaking of that, uh, what did you think about Chris Ariola versus Andrew Ruiz fight that took place yesterday? Yeah, uh, if, if you guys haven't seen this fight, uh, please check it out. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there, there's avenues to see it. Um, Andy Ruiz Jr. came in this fight 34-2. and two. Two losses with 22 KOs. Uh, he has a win over um, Anthony Joshua. And, of course, uh, he has an uh, upset victory over Anthony Joshua. And then uh, Joshua came back and decisioned uh, Andy Ruiz in the rematch. Uh, Ruiz also has a loss to Joseph Parker early in his career. Um, but up to this point, uh, Ruiz has been, you know, interesting guy to watch. Uh, in my opinion, a fun fighter to watch. I, I knew he was going to be something. I just didn't know what. Uh, going against Ariola, another guy, a guy who I watched pretty much his entire career from when he was a, a prospect pretty much up to now, which is pretty much his career is winding down. He's 38 and 6 and 1, 33 knockouts. Uh, he's been in the ring with Klitschko, um, Bermaine Stavern, Deontay Wilder, uh, Thomas Adamick. Um, you name it, he's been in the ring with him. But the interesting thing is he hasn't pretty much gotten that win to get a title yet. Um, but he's always been in, you know, a tough cookie in these fights. Now, this fight um, is, is very exciting. I, I like the way how Ariola came out. Um, of course, the first thing I noticed right off the bat was the hand speed of Andy Ruiz. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, hmm, this is going to be interesting for Ariola. It played out. For a, about a minute, played out kind of how I thought it was going to go. I'm like, hmm, that speed is kind of in those exchanges. I saw that Ruiz was a little bit faster than Ariola. Uh, but Ariola, he showed us, you know, great training and uh, boxing pedigree and, and vet status. Uh, he caught uh, Ruiz in one of those exchanges and um, pretty much hurt him. Uh, I believe it's the it was the second round. Uh, uh, where Ruiz pretty much uh, went down, uh, wasn't really down hard, but he was obviously hurt. Uh, and, and it wasn't the first time Ariola hurt him. He, I, I believe he hurt him in the third also. Um, the good thing is Anthony, Andy, uh, he made some adjustments midway into the fight. I think it was around the fifth and sixth round and, and pretty much took over. Um, but I think it was Ariola's decision to, to really uh, take it to Andy and, and catch him in those exchanges, which actually – when I think back on this fight, it, it kept Ariola from being stopped late because the whole night, even though uh, Ruiz started to pick it up, he was he was never he was never going to sell out against 
Chris Ariola. Um, and, um, of course, Ariola, I thought he, he tired pretty, pretty late, not really severely, but enough where it just, it, you can see that he wasn't going to win this fight. Um, now, the, for the scorecards, uh, they say it's controversy. I'm not sure if I saw it was con- controversial because, of course, the right man won. Uh, how you argue that is, you know, it's debatable. The only problem I had with is, is someone just a judge giving Ariel one round. I, I thought at the very minimal he he won the, the the second and third round pretty clearly in my opinion because he had Andy hurt. Um, and of course, Chris gave his you know um, <laughs> the special post fight interview. Uh, I'm like when I heard it, I'm like, dude, this guy must think he Cormega or Nas or something, you know. <laughs> Uh, and it, when his career winds down, I, th- I think he'll make a great commentator. Actually, actually, a pretty good one for uh, probably a, a network like Trilla, maybe you know, where they can take that provocative nature of his comments, and you know, and he he also brings some legitimacy because he's a he's a uh, pretty much a, a um, legitimate boxer. Um, but Andy Ruiz, props to him because he did tearing that fight around to, to, to win it. Uh, he was he was hurt. Ariola could have ended it if he stepped on the gas a little further, but he didn't. But I, I, I attribute some of Ariola's success to, you know, the, his trainer. Um, I, th- I thought that was uh, – I believe it was Goosen, Dan Goosen, who was a pretty much a, a pretty good trainer. Um, but it was, it was an exciting fight to watch. Uh, it was a good heavyweight scrap. Uh, oh yeah, one thing I do want to mention is, is the, both of these guys they 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 get a lot of flack for you know uh, not coming in in shape. Both guys, I gotta give it to them. They both came, interesting. They both came in disciplined in shape. Uh, especially Chris, he came in a career low of career a career low of uh, two hundred twenty eight pounds, um, and he looked like um, like he he should have looked pretty much his entire career. And had he had that same dedication, I think his career might have turned out a, a tad better. It, it's kind of like he he woke up and, and and since he knows that he's on the clock, he he's taking his career more seriously. But I'm afraid it's too late for him to you know to really be what he wants to be. But he can still be a you know a force and you know force uh, that can be opponent for pretty much anyone. Um, that's pretty much it. Good fight. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, that's really good scrap um, between Ruiz and Ariella. As I looked at it, um, from my my view, I saw um, the first round, Ruiz, he came out looking pretty sharp. He was landing some nice jabs and and pretty nice combos. As stated by you, Ariella uh, dropped Ruiz with the right to the temple in the second. Ariella um, almost dropped him again in the third round um, with another um, nice shot that badly hurt Ruiz. Now, around four through five, you can kind of tell a, a kind of a shift that was going on. And what was happening was that Ruiz started to let Ariola, um, he started counting because it, it seemed it seemed like he, he kind of got into the fight and he kind of found his comfort zone. And then the middle rounds, the tie even turned even more so because Ruiz started finding his rhythm you know, he was creating space, throwing some nice jabs upstairs and downstairs. 
And then he started landing those lightning quick combinations that he's known for. Around the mid part of the fight, Ariola began to fade and he became a little bit more defensive. He also got injured, like one of his shoulders got injured, but that's typical Ariola. He always has to go through some type of adversity. But it was a really good fight. I think the good about it was the fact that Ruiz was able to overcome adversity and make adjustments to secure his victory. But the bad is, is that sometimes um, you can see that he puts his head in a position sometimes, like it's right in a position to get hit flush by his opponent. And that's the reason why he got dropped. That's the reason why he got stunned in the third round. But those are some things that he can work on. But, you know, it started to become a pattern. I would say the ugly, if any, is that he had these struggles against a 40-year-old Ariola. Um, and, you know, he was in a knockdown drag out with a 40-year-old. But all in all, it was a really good fight. And like, as you stated, if you have not seen it, that's a good one to check out. Also yesterday, over in the UK, you had Joseph Parker taking on Derek Chisora um, in a pretty highly anticipated clash, especially across the pond. Um, did you check that out? And what did you think about Parker and Chisora's performance? Yeah, I checked this fight out also. Um, this fight, I didn't – when we, we talk about Andy Ruiz and Chris Oriola, it was obvious that this fight was going to be action-packed regardless of what happened. Uh, Derek Chisola versus Joseph Parker, um, wow, this – I can see the action, uh, the potential action in this fight. I wasn't really – I actually watched it. Uh, Derek Chisora, he came into this fight. He's 32 and 10 with 23 knockouts. Uh, Joseph Parker is 28 and 2 with uh, 21 knockouts. Uh, Chisora, if you haven't seen him, seen him, he's been in there with David Hay, and uh, I believe he was in there with Klitschko also. Uh, Joseph Parker, uh, he has a win. He, he was in there with uh, Junior Fogg. That we, I believe we saw him against him uh, last. And also he has a win over uh, Andy Ruiz, early in Ruiz's career. Um, but uh, Parker went down immediately, I believe it was the, the first round. Probably within the first what fifteen seconds, um, just sort of put him down. It was kind of like a, a left and a in a push. Uh, some I believe some of the commentators were saying that it might have been a push, but I think he um, Parker might have been you know cracked by that that left. Just uh, came out aggressive. I liked the way he came out. Um, he was really uh, taking the fight to uh, Parker. I think around the the mid fight, uh, I believe it was the the, the the sixth round, I think that's when Parker's, you know, he decides to, to you know, let his hands go more. Uh, but those body pot shots by Chisora was really like yeah, eye-catching for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a body-punching guy. So um, I, I, I saw that, that, that this fight was, for me, it was going to be a little difficult to score because it, it seemed like it was being fought on even terms. Um, and Chisora got uh, Parker could have, I think he could have stopped him even in a 12th when he hurt him again. He did not, but I believe uh, Parker, his his actions in those last two rounds, I think it won him the fight. Some people thought Chisora won. I don't have any problem with that. I just think that if, if I'd rather be somebody in this fight, I'd rather be Joseph Parker. But it was a really, really, really good fight. It was exciting to watch. Uh, it's one of those fights you just, you just put on, just, you know, a popcorn fight where you can just not think about anything that's going on. 
I, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, well, yeah, it was a pretty good fight. But um, actually, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Uh, I, it's not like I feel like Joseph Parker, you know, is a top heavyweight or anything like that. I believe those two guys are, are even, more so evenly matched or around the same level. And it, they're always going to have exciting fights, in my opinion. Right, so another good scrap yesterday uh, between Parker and Chisora yesterday. Uh, for, like I say, fought out there in the UK. Um, the way I saw it, I saw the first round, as you stated, right out the gate. Parker, um, he kind of turned his head a little bit. Chisora landed a glancing shot, and then Parker went down. It's like the first seven, eight seconds of the fight. So it's a pretty bad start for Parker. He had a, a pretty good round afterwards, but you have to give Chisora a 10-8 round just based on the knockdown. I had Chisora winning the first four rounds, and mainly because he kept up that constant pressure on Parker, and Parker, Parker really couldn't keep him off of him. And then um, also, Chisora was getting Parker, you know, on the ropes, as he stated, pounding the body, pounding the head. He was landing some vicious shots, you know. But I also, on the flip side, I gave Parker rounds five through twelve because the rate work rate that Chisora had in rounds one through four, you can see it like going in the opposite direction in terms of his stamina, work rate, you know, start to be far, too far in between, like when he would be able to like throw combinations or throw some of those shots that he was landing before, it was just kind of slower, you know, not as quick. And he began to plot, you know, forward a lot more. So, you know, basically he just couldn't keep up pace. And so Parker kind of upped his work rate through, throughout those rounds. Um, he used the speed to begin a to soar, to soar his bull rushes while landing his own combos, um, you know, as well. And, you know, also rounds five through 12, to soar, he kind of looked on the verge of being stopped a few times, too. I think you mentioned the 11th round, possibly the 12th. Um, so as I look at the fight, it's a really good fight. And I think that moving forward, if you're going to see Parker in more interesting fights, it has to be somebody against somebody like a Chisora who's going to force you to fight because if you don't, then he's going to get you out of there. And so that, that made for a much more exciting fight than we all thought was going to happen going into the bout. Um, for me, the good in this fight is that Parker, you know, he won a great tough decision against and always game Derek Chisora. And then the bad is, is to me, Parker, he just, he had to soar a few times, right? And he just doesn't seem like he has that fire in his belly to really want to put some serious hurt on his opponent, you know? And I think that that's what's going to not allow him to be able to handle some of those upper echelon guys as he moves forward in his career. No ugliness fight because it was a really good entertaining fight throughout. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing where each guy goes from here. Yeah, that was that was a good fight between Chisara and, and Parker. Um, th there was a a middleweight scrap yesterday. Um, it actually came on national television <laughs> uh, against Eris Landi, the American Dream, Lara versus Thomas Anya. Uh, so, Will, did you check this fight out? What'd you think? Yeah, I checked out the uh, Laura versus Lamana fight. Um, Laura right now is 38 years old. Um, he improved his record to 28-3, 16 KOs. He's a southpaw, 5'9", 75-inch reach. 
out of Cuba. And then you had Thomas Lamana, who's 29 years old with a record of now 35-1 with 12 KOs. He's 6-1, orthodox fighter. Um, so this fight, really, it was it was a really quick one um, because there was just a, a, a difference in skill, you know. And Lara's not a power puncher, but if you're going to allow him to land like clean lefts like that, especially early in the fight when he has all of his power or most of his power, then I don't think that that's going to end well for you. Um, just like it didn't end well for Lamana. So what happened in this fight, Laura came out, landed two solid lefts early on, like out the gate within the first maybe minute or so. And then um, you could tell Lamana didn't have any answers for it. He wasn't moving his head or anything like that. Then a third left hand wobbled Lamana. Um, and then, like I said, at that point, you can see that Lamana was just walking straight forward. He didn't like take he didn't go left, he didn't go right, but he had to do something as opposed to just coming in straight forward, through, you know, a straight path like that. And so that fourth left hand landed, boom, put him to sleep. First round KO for Iris Lightning Lara. And so he makes his debut into the middleweight division. Um, the only thing that I can say, um, in addition to what I've just mentioned, was that hopefully, you know, next or in the near future, you know, we'll see Lara facing somebody like a Golovkin a Charlo, Munguia, Morata, even a Eubank, um, if he's going to continue the campaign at 160. But those are my thoughts on that fight. Yeah, this fight, um, going to this fight, I was like, maybe Lara's probably going to, you know, um, stun Lamaya with some sharks, you know, the same shark left. But I, I thought that maybe he would stop him, in, you know, around the, the fifth or sixth round just from, being overwhelmed by the, the boxing ability of Lara. I was incorrect. As soon as he hit him with that, you know, hit as soon as Lara started connecting with that left hand, you know, within a minute of the fight, I knew it was going to be a short night. I didn't know how short it was going to be or how it was going to happen. But I, you could tell immediately that, you know, Thomas Lamagna, he, he was just effect, so affected by it. He didn't, his body language just did not look good. Um, and as you said, we all hit him with that, that fourth left, left and just, you know, put him right to sleep. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that, the, you know, this is a title fight. You know, Lara's WBA uh, middleweight champion. I think more so that was like a, uh, a consultation prize, consolation prize from the WBA for holding on to the, the title at 154 and being loyal to them. I think that was, you know, Lara's reward, you know, as in we're going to take care of you. Uh, moving forward, yeah, he has some, you know, potential opponents in, uh, the Glofkin and um, uh, Eubank Jr., uh, Charlo, uh, Jamal Charlo. I'm not sure about Jamal Charlo because I, uh, if I'm mistaken, I'm not sure if Lara is still trained by Ronnie Shields. If he is, that would probably be an issue. Um, if not, then, then you know, one, if one of them isn't no longer trained by Ronnie Shields, I can see that fight happening. Um, We've heard the rumors about how Lara does and sparring with, you know, Charlo, which makes this fight will make that fight intriguing, also. Um, but uh, all in all, I, I, I like Lara at uh, middleweight. Uh, some people think he's going to move down or, or anything like that. I don't think so. Uh, I think he should have moved up to middleweight earlier when, when it was apparent that he wasn't going to get the, the the fights he needed at 154. Um, but 
you know, um, as short as this fight was, it was entertaining. If you saw it at home, sitting on your couch like I did, you were very entertained. This fight was so quick, they didn't know what to do. They started putting on one of their uh, <laughs> undercar uh, fights on the fight so on the uh, network so they could fill time. So it was interesting to see that happen. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, across to Arizlandi Lara. So we had a, a light heavyweight uh, fight yesterday. Um, this uh, from Dimitri Bivol versus Craig Richardson. Uh, Will, did you check this fight out? Uh, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I think it was a good, not only stay busy fight for Dimitri Bivol, but I also thought it was a good fight to take after such a long layoff. And you could kind of see some of the rust of Bivol, um, who improved his record to 18 and 0 with 11 KOs. He's six foot, 30 years old, orthodox fighter out of Russia. And then you have Craig Richards out of the UK, who now is 16-2-1 with nine KOs, 6-1, um, 31 years of age. Um, it, it definitely wasn't a walk in the park for Dimitri Bivol. Going into the fight, you can kind of know that, like, just based on the skills, that Dimitri Bivol is a much more skilled guy all around than Craig Richards. But I think that this fight also, in addition to Bevel being off for 15 or so months, it's still a, it was also a stylistic matchup problem for Bevel too, because Richards has certain attributes, good outboxer, um, pretty quick hands. Um, and, you know, like I say, he's a, he's a solid boxer. And so this is pretty much the first guy with those attributes that I've actually seen Bevel face. And I think he would have fared better, not that he fared bad, but I think he would have did better if he was a little bit in more of a routine. Um, I think that it would have been a much more um, noticeable victory in terms of I had it eight to four, but I think it would have been either like 10 to two or maybe he would have stopped uh, Richards. But again, it's a good fight for him to come back against an opponent like that. To me, all of the rounds were pretty much close for the most part. I think I gave the first eight rounds to Bevel, um, but they were all close rounds. And I just felt like I would have preferred to be Bevel in those rounds as opposed to Richards. But I can see how some of those rounds could have went to Richards. Um, and then he uh, kind of upped the ante a little bit bet between rounds eight through 12. But like I say, all in all, I had Bevel um, as the victor. Um, but, you know, he also, Richards can, you know, walk out of this fight with his head, head um, held high because he did himself proud. He held his own against arguably the best 175-pounder in the world. Um, and he wasn't completely outclassed. But like I said, as I watched the fight, I had like 116, 112 for Dimitri Bill. Yeah, this is a good fight for, you know, uh, us boxing fans. Uh, it, it, it wasn't like this action-packed fight, but it had some pretty decent exchanges. Uh, it was jab-heavy. They were they were having battle of, of the jabs a lot, which I I, I enjoyed. Uh, you could see the you know Bivo was dealing with a little bit of ring rust. It took him a while to really you know get that that timing down. Um, as you said, Will, a lot of it was there were a lot of rounds that were close, but I think Bivo was just really winning those exchanges, and that's how he was winning those rounds. Um, which pretty much won on the fight. 
and of course Craig Richardson he, he did a great job. I was impressed with with you know him uh his some a lot some of his combinations and punch selections. It's just that Bibbo was just winning those exchanges, but it wasn't like Richards was just you know totally being outclassed, um, which I like. Um, and plus Richards, you know, he he didn't uh, even though he was connected, it didn't seem he was connected some. A few times I saw Bibbo, he, I saw Richards hit Bibbo with some sharp punches, but it, it wasn't really giving Bibbo anything to think about. And but I I would be concerned if I was Bibbo against someone like uh, Bitterbeef. But just so happens Bitterbeef is dealing with ring wrestling of his own also, which I think these guys match up pretty nicely. But in this fight, Bibbo was just doing enough. Uh, when Richards was successful in exchange. Uh, Bibbo would, would come back. And this part I did like that Bibbo would come back and just so he can win that exchange and win the round. But it, it was an interesting fight. Uh, good fight to watch if you're a boxing purist and, you know, check it out. Uh, anything else you have to add on that, Will? No, I think Richards is a bad matchup for Bivol, Um, But I also think Bivol is a bad matchup for um, Better Beef. But not to the extent where it's going to be a blowout. I just think that what he brings to the table, his counterpunching ability, is um, will be something that is going to get better to be all he can handle. But, you know, hopefully they'll make that fight soon and we can see a great scrap. Yeah, I hope so, too. Uh, we, we need to see some, some real good super fights. We need to see, uh, you know, Bibble against Bitter B. I was about to go into, you know, my long rant about the fights I want to see, but I'm not going to do that because uh, it's a lot of them. And, you know, uh, as a boxing fan, you know, that that seems like a fight that can be made against Bitter Beef and Bibbo. That doesn't seem like a fight that, you know, there'll be an ego involved or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what um, Bill was saying, that that's, he wants the other champion. So he wants to uh, smack around Joe Smith again if they give him the opportunity or if they can't you know, make that fight than he wants, better be. But that's kind of like the older guys in the sport who we can go on and on all day who had the opportunity to fight each other, been champions for a while, and they still are finding ways not to fight each other. They got the better beef, and you got um, Devil, you got Spence, you got Crawford, you got, um, like I say, Wilder and what's my man named? Joshua never fought each other. I mean, it's, I mean you can go... Gary Russell don't get any cracks at any of these guys. But that's kind of like the older guys. Now, we got some young guns coming up. Speaking of that, one of them was on that Areola and Ruiz fight card. The 23-year-old Sebastian Towering Inferno, he fought yesterday against Jorge Cota. What did you think about the young Sebastian Fedora's performance last night? Yeah, Sebastian, the Towering Inferno Fedora. Uh, 16 and no, and uh, with 11 knockouts, I believe he has one draw. Six foot five or six foot six, guy who depends on wherever you look, you know, has like a, a 80 inch reach, <laughs> uh, fighting that light middleweight. Uh, he was against Jorge Cotto, who was uh, 30 and four. Um, this fight, Cotto came out aggressive right off the bat in the first, and this made the fight enter- entertaining, but it kind of, you know, CO Coda, you know, eventually he was going to get stopped in this fight. But, you know, this fight was going to be action packed, though. Um, 
and pretty much Verdura just pretty much just beat him up, you know, um, beat him up the first two rounds. Cotto went right at him in the third. Um, he just didn't have enough for Verdura. Um, but I will say that Cotto was catching uh, Verdura and these exchanges because um, Verdura, he even though he's that tall, as we said last week, he doesn't fight like a tall guy. Uh, and I'm not saying that we should turn him into one, but it, it would definitely help him. I mean, he was getting really caught in those exchanges with uh, Coda. And in fights like this, you always think, like, what if this was, a, a you know, someone like a Jermail Charlo or, or, or even even a Julian Williams hitting or, or uh, a Lubin hitting him with those sharp shots, you know. Um, so he has some things he can work on. But I, I like the work that Fedora was, was doing. Uh, he, he pretty much uh, stopped Coda, and um, I can't remember. It lost me what round it was, but he pretty much stopped him. Uh, I believe it was uh, mid fight. But I like what I see from from Fedora. I don't want to be too harsh on him. I like the way he he has this meanness to him, brutality to him. But he doesn't have like this crazy overwhelming power that he just really hurts guys like a, a David Benavidez or anything like that. So he leaves some to be a desire, but I think uh, he he just has some things to work on. Uh, but he but he will always be an exciting fight, though, and that's what I like about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Sebastian uh, Fundora was he, he's a <laughs> he, he's going to be a tough but a tall order for the rest of the 154 pound fighters, and this fight here was another. You know, goody because it was fought in the phone booth, as you stated. Those guys were hammering away at each other, you know, for the duration of the fight, uh, with Fandora basically getting the better of the exchanges uh, each and every time. But for the most part, Coda um, had his moments where he landed some solid punches on the kid. And um, like you say, Fandora, as tall as he is, he likes it up close, he likes to smother his opponent. Um, but he also gets, you know, nice leverage on his punches, you know, when he lands. And that's interesting with that 80-inch reach that he's able to end fight like that and that he wants to end fight. Um, you know, no knockdowns in the fight. Fedora was getting beat up. It was either third or fourth round. You know, the referee eventually came in there to stop it. Although Cotto was at that point about the rally and trying to come back, I think that even though it was an early stoppage, kind of premature stoppage, I think that the result was going to be the same anyway. Um, so, I mean, for me, the kid, you know, he, he increased his level. So he went up and fought the best opponent he's faced, you know, before. And, you know, he passed and he did what he was supposed to against an opponent like, like Coda. So that was impressive to me um, in that regard. So the good is, is that, as I stated, he's going to be a problem for any of those 154-pound guys just based on the fact of his size, his youth, his stamina, his power, you know, all of those attributes. Um, it's going to be, you know, tough to overcome for any of those guys. Now, he again, he's one of those guys who you can hit him, you know, and it's just a matter if he faces somebody with the power of a Charlo, with the power of, I would even say like a herd. Like, that would be a really good matchup to see those guys go at it. Um, but the bad is, is that I would like for him, as you stated, to develop just a little bit more wrinkles to his arsenal because he's so one-dimensional that 
he's going to find somebody who wants to be in there with him, and they're just going to set him up and then just clean his clock, you know, with some shots if he's not able to diversify his portfolio. So he's going to eventually, just in certain spots, just to change it up, change up his rhythm, and then um, maybe put the pressure on guys and try to wear them down and, you know, do that sort of thing. But he's not going to just have that one trick, and it's going to be sustainable. So that's the only thing. Outside, it really wasn't any ugly because, you know, I feel like I got my money's worth. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap things up? No, sir. Nah, man, we, we had a pretty quick episode, you know, looking forward to next week. We got Canelo, uh, DJ Saunders. Any last uh, thing that you want to say about that as far as, like, a prediction or anything? I think this fight is going to be interesting based on what Billy Joe Saunders decided to do. Canelo is going to be, be Canelo. Uh, I've grown to, to, to like Canelo as a fighter. I, I used to be a Canelo critic. But watching him over the years, he's growing to like an all-time great. Uh, and too many people judge him off, you know, his fights with his earlier fights with, you know, Mayweather and Lara and those guys. And he's developed so many wrinkles. I mean, Canelo is just fun to watch, in my opinion. Um, so it'd be fun to watch him take on uh, the Billy Joe Saunders challenge. Uh, and of course, it's a big fight. Um, we overdue for these really, really big fights that happen around, you know, this time a year. Um, we just need more of them. Right. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. And just like I was saying, Bevel and Richards, like that's a style matchup problem for Bevel because he's not like really a knockout puncher. But if you're in there with him in his wheelhouse, then he's powerful enough and he can get you out of there that way because you're just right in his range. And so I'm interested to see. Billy Joe was like one of the first true boxers that I can recall that Canelo will be facing since he faced the likes of Lara and Mayweather. And so I want to see how much he has really developed in that time because he's developed against those other guys who come forward and, you know, he's mastered that part of the game. Now, what about his ability to cut off the ring? You know what I mean? I want to see, you know, how much more he improved in that area now um, than he had before. So we'll see. It'll be an interesting fight. And it's also going to be an interesting event. Anytime that you got the cash cow involved, um, it's going to be a huge event, a huge ordeal. But on that note, anything else, Phil? No, sir. Okay. I think we got in everything we needed to get in. And again, just continue to support. Um, you know, check us out YouTube, check us out Instagram, um, and all of our social media handles. Um, make sure you like and subscribe. On that note, we out. Enjoy your Monday, and we'll catch you next week. Peace. All right, peace.